Today on Laura Lynn and Friends. Golda Meir said those words, we can forgive the Arabs. We can forgive them for killing our own children, but we cannot forgive them for forcing us to kill their children by responding back. Hello everyone, welcome to the beginning of the last days. The whole world is heating up. There's wars and rumors of wars, there's famines, there's a lot of unrest and uh, Israel is under fire. And so all of these things biblically leads us to believe that we're facing some epic times of prophetic fulfillment. And it's a bit confusing because if you listen to the mainstream media or some sources, uh, you don't know what to believe. And that's what I've heard from some of you out there that you're very confused by it all because you hear certain facts here and there. And so it's very important where we get our information. And, uh, you know, we don't walk in the counsel of the ungodly as much as possible. I like to bring people on that understand the Word of God and that can give us a biblical perspective. I like to also start my shows uh, by reading from my dad's Bible, and I found uh, some really beautiful stuff. This old leather-bound wonderful treasure is so very important to me, and I went to Deuteronomy 6 today, and in Deuteronomy 6, verse 4, it says, my dad has, uh, he's basically... Um, he, he has noted all the way up to verse 14, and I'm not going to do the whole thing, but if you want to go to Deuteronomy 6 to see what God says to Israel, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up, and thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, for they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes. Not certain what that is, but it's, it's a good thing, I believe. And it shall be when the Lord thy God shall have brought thee into the land which he swore unto the fathers to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give thee great and goodly cities which thou buildest not, and houses full of all good things which thou fillest not, and wells dug which thou diggest not, vineyards, olive trees which thou plantest not. When thou shalt have eaten and be full, then beware lest thou forget the Lord which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt and the house of bondage. Thou shalt fear the Lord thy God and serve him and shall swear by his name. Amen. All right. I read almost all of it. It was so good. I couldn't stop. You know, um, my dad um, taught me to love Israel. My father showed me the scriptures. Um, my mom and dad were ministers of the gospel. And so I was raised to trust the Bible as my main source on who I support. Um, so in these days, when things have been very difficult to understand about what is happening there and about if there's wrongs, if, if you know, if there's a genocide happening in Gaza, for instance, uh, these things, um, they call Gaza, you know, an open air prison. Um, different things have been said like this. And we wonder, is Netanyahu a good guy or a bad guy? 
um, has is he a good guy that has had to engage in in war that has been perilous? Um, all of these things are are difficult to answer, but I believe that that people that are in the know and understand it are the ones that we should rely on for our information, not these. May I just say, God-forsaken publications that produce anti-Semitism and inspire it at this hour when it, it should not be there. Right before we get to our guest to talk about all of those things, uh, many of you heard that there was a shooting at Houston, uh, uh, Joel Osteen's Lakewood Church. And so there was a police press conference and some very staggering sort of, you know, information is now coming out. Take a look. So approximately at 1.53 p.m., a female, approximately 30, 35 years old, entered the property on the west side here in the parking lot of Lakewood Church. She entered the building. She was armed with a long rifle and a trench coat with a backpack, accompanied by a small child, approximately four to five years old. Uh, once she entered, uh, at some point she began to fire. I want to compliment the off-duty officers who were working extra employment here. One TABC agent, four years of service, 38 years old. An HPD off-duty officer, 28 years old, two years of service. Both officers, an officer and agent, uh, engaged, uh, striking the female. Uh, she's deceased here on the scene. Unfortunately, the five-year-old kid was hit and is in critical condition at our local hospital. That was a 57-year-old man who didn't have anything to do with it, I don't think, was shot in the leg. He's seeking treatment in the hospital. So let's all pray for each and every one of them. Okay, so uh, he called the shooter uh, a she and said that that uh, this person was a female. But this is the re release of sort of the the rap sheet, and um, so it's a Jeffrey Escalante Marino, and he's non-Hispanic ethnicity, non-Hispanic, but he's from El Salvador. And uh, it says female, right, JT? Yep. Um, so that's, but the name, and, and white. Um, and that looks Hispanic to me from El Salvador, but his name is Jeffrey. So this is not a female, this is a male, so that we can all have clarity and actually use words that have meaning in today's world. This is a male named Jeffrey, who is from El Salvador, does not appear to me to be anything other than Hispanic, right? Okay, then we'll go to the share. And um, so Lakewood uh, church shooting AR-15 had Palestine sticker, anti-Semitic writings recovered, police say. The suspect has died. Two were hurt in the shooting at Joel Osteen's church. Um, a sticker saying Palestine was on the AR-15 rifle. Um, a man, to be clear, used to open fire at celebrity Pastor Joel Osteen's Lakewood Church in Houston, injuring two, including her son, his son, I guess, if it is his son. 
Um, some anti-Semitic writings have been, there's so much falsity, you don't know what's true, do you? I mean, they, already. That's the, <laughs> That's the point. You know, the police officer is referring to this person in a, you know, politically correct manner, which completely lies to the entire world as they watch what he just wrote. Unless they were to investigate, everyone would be running around, as we did, saying that a woman burst into Lakewood Church and was shooting. Um, some anti-Semitic writings have been recovered, but a motive behind the Sunday afternoon shooting has not been determined. According to police, we do believe that there was a familial dispute that had taken place between her, his ex-husband and his ex-husband's family, some of whom are Jewish, police said. So this is the dude. Um, is there any chance that the dude was, the woman would be named Jeffrey? That you can see, JT? <laughs> the suspect, 36-year-old Janice Yvonne Marino, entered the church. So, so this rap sheet that you got on the other one was from the police. Okay, all of it very confusing. So now we have two different names too. Well, you can see if you go back. Yeah. Names he has. Oh, he has many names. Yeah, okay, very, very confusing yeah, the then. Okay, the second chair then I'll put up here. Um, so uh, unfortunately, it does look like the child shot at Joel Osteen's Lakewood Church is not expected to survive. And that is indeed a tragedy. What on earth was this child and this crazy person? Oh, very, very sad. All right. Well, so many things have happened. Right before we go into our, um, our interview with Pastor Giulio Gabelli, recently returned from Israel uh, just, uh, just a few days ago, and he has the latest on what's going on, and he was able to uh, meet with and, and see some of the places that Hamas um, wielded their vicious and psychotic attack in Israel. Let's just show that video. Um, the IDF has rescued two Israeli hostages in Rafah. Good news. Special forces apparently landed on the roof of the building and then broke into, into uh, the, the, the room, the space, the apartment where uh, the two hostages were held. And, and we have to understand the, the, the difference between success as ha so happily happened. The difference between success and failure is, is split seconds because, uh, of course, the forces have to arrive, break in, and do all that before the terrorists realize what is happening, before they have time first to react uh, towards the incoming, uh, the, the incoming fighters and also perhaps kill the hostages. Uh, 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 but everything happened uh, quickly. We have to understand the forces have to land in, locate the apartment, break in, usually with concrete doors, which are heavy concrete doors, which are obviously locked. No one is opening the door and, and welcoming them in. All that happened. Uh, they were able to break in, uh, surprise the, the, the Hamas terrorists, kill them, and, and then also protect the, the, the hostages because this, this uh, uh, quickly, in, in a matter of, of seconds, became a, a battle zone. And uh, we, we heard the IDF spokesperson saying that uh, those fighters protected with their own bodies, protected the two, uh, the, the, the two hostages, making sure that they walk out of there alive as quickly as possible and uh, make, it, uh, make it safe uh, to, uh, the, to, to, to safe areas. 
Another question that was brought up here, mm -hmm. uh, Palestinian claims about the fact that many Palestinians were killed during the operation. What exactly were they expecting? Uh, uh, what, what did they think would happen? That, that Israel would not go after the hostages and try to rescue them? That if there is such an operation, it would not end with many terrorists killed? What, what exactly did they expect? Is, is this the NATO Peace Corps? Obviously, a, a lot of Palestinians were killed. The, the, again, the, the, these are not exactly Mother Teresa that was killed. Uh, these are terrorists involved in, 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 in kidnapping, yeah. involved in, in, in the worst possible things. And, and uh, yes, they were killed. If the Palestinians, if Hamas wants to raise the claims to the world, World. Go ahead. 100%. That is great, fantastic news. Uh, I had just heard, I think we all heard that they believed that all hostages are probably dead, and instead they have rescued a couple of them. And this continues to be, of you know, they're complaining, oh, all these people were killed while we were rescuing hostages. What did you think would happen? Pastor Giulio Gabelli joins me now. He is with CCI, a network of Jews and Christians, um, and, and you've been with them for many years, Pastor Giulio. Thank you for joining us. I really appreciate that you're, um, you're, you're Jewish yourself, part Jewish. Mm -hmm. uh, you've got that history, and you were just in Israel, and maybe you could tell us a little bit about you know, what you think about this rescuing of the hostages. It's absolutely wonderful. Yes, well, Orlin, it's so good to be with you again. Um, I'm so delighted that obviously you are focusing and bringing truth or bringing light to so much confusion, misinformation that is existing out there. But, you know, regarding the hostages, these two hostages, they were Argentinian Jews that had done Aliyah to Israel or had moved to Israel. And I think it's so significant, obviously, that these two hostages being Argentinian, that this breakthrough in the release of these two hostages actually took place a few days after the Argentinian president, Javier Millet, was actually in Israel, just expressing his solidarity with Israel, and he was praying at the Western Wall. And so I feel there's something so prophetic about what took place with the uh, with the uh, release, well, not the release, I should say the, the rescue of these two Argentinian-born Jews that now lived in Israel. So there's something very prophetic about that. So I wanted to bring that to everyone's attention that it just was a few days ago that the Argentinian president was there, declared very clearly that he stands in solidarity with Israel and as well will be moving the Argentinian embassy uh, from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. But just uh, some clarification regarding the hostages. Now, the Israelis, the Shin Bet, the uh, secret intelligence has confirmed that at least 32 of the 136 remaining hostages in Israel are believed to be dead. 32 of them. That okay, means- 32, not all of them. Not all of them. 32 are believed to be dead just because of their, the age, the need for medication, you know, this is now four months into, uh, you know, this, this time of, of being hostages, many of them in the tunnels, many of them in darkness, not treated well, not being able to eat well. So they believe, they've informed 32 of the hostages' families that they believe their loved ones are dead. 
But this was a breath of fresh air. It was like a burst of, of oh. such joy, yes. um, you know, for Israel to be able to see two of the hostages being rescued. And by the way, they were in a home. They were being held by a family in a home, which again, goes against the narrative necessarily that the Palestinians themselves don't agree with Hamas. No, many of the Palestinians sadly are working with Hamas and are the ones as well collaborating with the terrorists. But this was a massive victory, Laura Lynn, a massive victory. And to see these two Argentinian Jews being released, and it was very emotional, obviously, for their families to welcome them back I can't home. even one imagine. Them, yeah, one of them was 60 years old, one of them was 70 years old, Fernando and Luis uh, from Argentina, uh, originally, you know, uh, being released and joining their families. By the way, three of their family members were actually released back in November. So there were five of them from th this family that were uh, captured and taken as hostages. So this is a good day for Israel. It is a happy day for Israel. God is answering prayer in many, many ways. Amen. And, you know, um, Israel shows it's very, it really truly is an amazing military. Uh, they've done different things over the years. Back in 1976, because I was from Uganda, I remember we, we just really knew about the um, the operation where they did a raid on Entebbe Airport and went in and secured every last one of those uh, hostages that were taken at Entebbe Airport in Uganda. Entebbe Airport is somewhere that I had been numerous times as a child. And they even did, I mean, in the movie, they did such a great mock-up of, um, of the airport. It was as I remembered it. But but under cover of night, I'm sure you'll remember as well, they went in and, uh, you know, and went down the runway, went in and rescued them. The only person killed was Netanyahu's brother, President Netanyahu's correct. brother, I yes. believe. Yeah. So, yes, so correct. they show Absolutely. a lot of prowess in, in being able to do these things. And is this the reunion, JT? Oh, yes. isn't that beautiful? That was really something. It was very emotional, very moving for me because you see the Argentinian Jews, uh, they're Sephardic and that's where my family are from. We're Sephardic Jews. And, and so it's quite significant uh, to hear them speak in Spanish and to hear them, of course, in Ladino, uh, just very emotional at, at this reunion. It was, it was really a very, very joyous, joyous <laughs> occasion. I'm sure they all thought many times that their loved ones were dead. And I bet that the hostages themselves would have thought it was a, a real long shot. We're getting out of here alive. Yeah, correct. Of course, I'm sure after four and a half months, well, just less than four and a half months, you can see that the hope of many of the hostages was was possibly waning yeah. because, you know, what's going on? We're not seeing any movement and and yet to see these two hostages being rescued the way they were by the IDF is, 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 uh, is a burst of new hope uh, to the entire nation again. Yeah. And of course, negotiations are still going on. There's a lot of pressure in Israel right now. The hostage families are pressuring the Israeli government 
Um, the nations of the world, even President Biden and the American administration is putting a lot of pressure on uh, the Israelis to somehow agree to a ceasefire uh, that would allow all of these hostages to be released. But they all fail to recognize that Israel knows that if they would acquiesce to a ceasefire, you know, a number of months of ceasefire, it would just allow Hamas to regroup and to rearm itself and to re-entrench itself again, and they're going to have to go back in again and do this. And so the Israelis have made it very, very clear that there are two objectives that they want to accomplish. One of them is obviously the releasing of the hostages, and the second is to totally dismantle and destroy and remove Hamas from Gaza and to secure Gaza militarily for the future. So that is their stated goals. They're not going to back down. Uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu, just like you mentioned, mentioning the death of his brother in Entebbe, in Entebbe that rescue back in 1977, the Prime Minister has made it very clear we're on the road to victory. It's not a number of years, but it is only a number of months. And we will secure the victory, a complete victory, and release all the hostages um, as soon as possible. So uh, something else as well, Laura Lynn, if I'll take this opportunity sure. just to bring some clarity. Um, you know, the initial uh, newsreel that you showed from I-24 News, interestingly, interestingly, that many of the numbers that are being released of Palestinian casualties, you know, the Palestinians and Hamas obviously does not reveal that thousands and thousands and thousands of those casualties actually were Hamas militants that were dressed as civilians. So they're just simply saying civilians. But, you know, a good 13 to 14,000 of them are actually Hamas militants that were killed by the IDF, uh, whether it was through airstrikes or through IDF ground operations. And so, again, trusting the numbers and trusting the figures that Hamas is giving. Uh, they're trying to deceive the world and say that it is so many women and children dying and it's so many civilians, but half of those numbers are actually Hamas militants that were not dressed in military fatigues, but were actually dressed as civilians fighting back or fighting the uh, IDF soldiers. So that needs to be clearly, clearly expressed uh, so that the world would understand uh, what Israel is actually doing. Well, we can't believe a word that Hamas says. Um, remember when the hospital garage was, uh, you know, it was the parking lot that was bombed. Hamas immediately released word, uh, the IDF, they've shot the hospital, 500 people are dead. None of that was true. Um, and they, you know, someone else from the G, you know, the Islamic relief or, or Islamic, um, the jihadis, uh, you know, had, had bombed the, the hospital. You can't believe a word that Hamas says, obviously, right? Correct. Absolutely. And, and just going back to what you shared about the, the Shifa hospital there, interestingly, it was the Islamic Jihad Brotherhood that had misfired a rocket. Immediately, they accused Israel. It was an airstrike from Israel. You know, over 500, as you said, have been killed. 
And in fact, the rocket did not even land in the hospital. The rocket actually landed in a parking lot, as you said, and only 50 casualties, not 500 casualties, were reported after it was all brought to light. But of course, you know, the media picks it up, BBC News and other news sources. Israel just, just killed, you know, 500 innocent civilian Palestinians in the Shifa hospital, which was not true at all. Wow. And so that, again, is the misinformation war, the propaganda war that Hamas is using. And they're using it, uh, you know, they're using, sadly, I, I hate to say it, but they're using that propaganda war. And in many respects, they're winning that war because so many news outlets in the world are just buying into what Hamas is actually releasing and saying instead of waiting for Israel to respond and then Israel to prove whether that's true or not. Mm -hmm. Well, you have made um, a, you know, a pilgrimage to Israel since October 7th. And your son, and we had you both on, which was just an, an epic interview, and I urge everyone who hasn't seen it to go and hear the thoughts of uh, Pastor Julio's son being there when the October 7th, uh, you know, place. attack took place. Yeah. And um, so, but you, you then have gone there. Now, a lot of people probably steering a little bit clear of Israel. Um, I, I'm thinking personally uh, that it, it's probably very safe there at this time because everyone's being so careful. Yeah, absolutely, Laura Lynn. You know, what, what you're referring to obviously is a solidarity mission of international leaders that were invited. It was a small group, a select group of international leaders invited by the Knesset and the Christian embassy of Jerusalem. And so here I was, you know, as a, as a you know, Jewish messianic pastor, uh, as a bridge in the Christian world, having been invited as a national leader from Canada. Two of us were from Canada, and there were Africans, there were Europeans, Asians, South American leaders, and we're talking about national leaders that have great, great influence over thousands and thousands of whether it's churches or organizations and so on. And so I had the privilege to be part of this meeting, uh, part of this delegation for three days. It was a whirlwind. Uh, as you can imagine, I arrived on a Sunday evening and left very late on a Wednesday evening, very early Thursday morning. But responding to your statement about not too many people being there. Of course, it was, interestingly, uh, I was the only one with a foreign passport in the passport control when I arrived at Ben Gurion Airport. And I thought that was quite interesting because the plane was full of just Jews and Israelis coming back with Israeli passports. But I was the only one with a foreign passport, a Canadian passport arriving. And it was, uh, it was, <laughs> Front Crazy of the to line. see that. <laughs> you went to Crazy front of the line. <laughs> yes, yeah. of course, because every time oh, I've exactly. gone to Israel, I mean, those lines are full right. of visitors coming to Israel. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, I had the opportunity to be walking in the old city for a few hours before our meeting started and uh, to see how empty it is. And it's only Jews, only Jews that were there, not visitors or foreign visitors or tourists from around the world. 
And yet it was so quiet. And yet it's so amazing in Jerusalem, um, you know, it, to see the security that is so high and to see, obviously, um, you know, there's a sense of calm and a sense of, of just life returning. In some ways, it looks normal. Yes. Because the average Israeli, I mean, this is a war that's going on. And the war, obviously, is in Gaza at this point. It was in the south and it's in the north. Um, you know, with Hezbollah, of course. But again, you know, Israel is one of the top security nations of the world. And especially now, after October the 7th, yes. wow, there's nothing to fear. Yes. Nothing to fear at I all. I have in two Israel. questions. Um, one is, uh, I remember going to Israel and they had all of these shops and you could go into the Palestinian quarter or whatever they call that. Um, you know, it, it's interesting. People should know that Palestinians and, and the Jews live in peace right in Israel. Israel. That's the only yeah. place they can live in peace. I've heard many times that Jews would not feel safe going to Gaza, but there can be peace amongst them right in the midst of the Jerusalem and, and Israel area. So I was wondering if they've all shut the shops down that would normally be for tourists to, you know, get, you know, a memento. No. well... That's a good question. I mean, as I was walking through the old city, I was actually walking through uh, what they call the the um, the Christian quarter because mm. the old city is is divided into four quarters. There's the Christian quarter, there's the Muslim quarter, the Armenian quarter, and then of course the Jewish quarter. But as I was walking through the Jaffa Gate entrance and then walking through the Christian quarter, which are all Arabs, the majority are all Arab shopkeepers. Um, it, you know, they all seem to be open, but very few people and yeah. very few people. And of course, they're they're seeing me. I mean, they didn't know that I was a foreigner. Right. They they probably thought my, me to be just an Israeli. So they weren't pestering me. Would you come on in? And, you know, is there anything that you'd like to buy? But yeah. But again, they're all open. Um, just as a, a reminder to your viewers that there are two million Arabs that live in Israel, two million hmm. out of the uh, basically the seven and out of the nine and a half million people that live, almost ten million people that live in Israel, two million of them are Arabs. Wow! And so they're living in Israel. Many of them really consider themselves as Arab Israelis, and they are fully supportive of the Jewish state of Israel. Many are very strong, adamant Muslims, and some of them are, you know, very clearly, um, you know, speaking for uh, wanting a, you know, a two-state solution to take place. But, you know, the sad commentary is that, that there have been incidents within Israel of militant Arabs that have maybe taken, um, you know, the, taken the cause, quote-unquote, the cause of Hamas and and some of these Palestinians that they've 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 obviously committed some incidents uh, against Jews within Jerusalem or other areas of Israel. But that's very rare in comparison to the majority of Arabs that live in Israel that are very, very pro-Israel. Wow. And and that that's a sign of that. This is a peaceful nation where, you know, many are living together. 
I wanted to get to something that you said to me because um, you talked about the actual day um, of this uh, horrific attack by Hamas on Israel. You had been there, you spoke to some, and you've already stated that Israel is such a safe uh, place that their security mm. is bar none. And yet this um, atrocious attack was, was able to take place. And you said to me something, and I wonder if you could expand on it, that one thing was they did not expect that... Um, the Palestinians would not care about their own people because, of course, they must have known that retribution would be coming. Could you expand on that? Absolutely, Laura Lynn. Uh, one of the meetings that we one day was specifically uh, dedicated to meeting with senior cabinet ministers. We were supposed to meet with President Herzog, and sadly, again, uh, that meeting had to be rescheduled because. President Herzog, uh, finding himself at Davos during the Davos gathering, had made some strong statements about the International uh, Court of Justice and South Africa, um, you know, taking Israel to court and accusing Israel of genocidal actions in Gaza. And so he'd made some strong statements at Davos. And while he was there, the absurdity of it all, Swiss lawyers um, began to accuse President Herzog and basically accuse him of hate speech. And so here they were wanting to indict him. And so on the Tuesday morning that we were to meet with President Herzog in a private meeting, uh, President Herzog had to fly out to Brussels, sorry, fly out to Switzerland and again answer some questions specifically uh, to these lawyers um, and so was seeking to reschedule with us for the Thursday, but we were all leaving on Thursday, so it didn't happen. But one of the meetings that we had was with the foreign minister, Israel Katz, who is, by the way, in the news quite a bit. He's one of the main spokespersons right now. He's a foreign minister of Israel. And so in a private meeting, um, you know, Mr. Katz clearly, clearly spoke to us and, and opened his heart and said, you know, when October the 7th took place, we were, we were shocked, number one, because not only were the female soldiers that were monitoring, uh, you know, kind of sounding the alarm a little bit, and the senior officers that were being informed were basically saying, well, look, don't worry about it. Uh, you know, Hamas, you know, they're doing all of this, but, you know, what are they going to do? Uh, they never expected, they never thought it possible that the Hamas terrorists would actually seek to invade Israel and do what they did because they knew, see Hamas knew that the IDF would have to respond and the IDF would do a ground invasion, not only the airstrikes, because in the past there have been airstrikes, but that was not uh, necessarily what um, what, what Hamas or what the Israelis were thinking of. He said very clearly, it was a misjudgment on our part, thinking that they would care about their own people because they would know the impact of Israel and a ground invasion into Israel and the casualties that would be created by this kind of a war because Israel would have to retaliate. Just like in that newsreel that you showed, there would, be, there would definitely be civilian casualties even though Israel would seek to minimize the casualties. But 
he said, we never thought that they had no regard, no love for their own people. They could not care less about their own people. And so they never thought this would have been possible, that Hamas would even attempt something like this, knowing the military power of Israel to respond and then move into a ground invasion. And uh, so it's so clear that Hamas hates their own people. They couldn't care less about their own people. Their yep. people are being used as human shields. Uh, you, you know, interestingly, you mentioned October the 7th. And so 50 years ago, another war that took place was the Yom Kippur War, actually almost 50 years to the day, which began on October the 5th, 60, 50 years ago. And Golda Meir, who was the only female prime minister of Israel, and especially at that time, Golda Meir made a statement that I thought was so important that I want to share with everyone because it became so clear to me that this is really the this is really the 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 heart of our Jewish people and the heart of of Israelis. But Golda Meir made a statement and she said this. You know, she said we can forgive the Arabs for killing our children. We cannot forgive them for forcing us to kill their children. That is so revealing because in response to what Hamas would do or what the terrorist organization, organizations would do, there are going to be civilians that are gonna die in the response. But that's not the heart of Israel. That's not the heart of the IDF, the Israel Defense Forces. And so the foreign minister just, he was just shaking his head, actually broken. He was a, you know, very, very emotional when he said that we never thought that they would even do this at the expense of their own people, but they just don't care for their people. So uh, I hope that answers anyone that thinks that Israel would just allow this to happen. And Well, they've said that, haven't so they? These, these anti-Semitic people believe that this is like a, uh, you know, a false flag. Uh, they allowed it to happen so that they could go in and take Gaza which they've already given, you know, away, but, uh, you know, um, that, that this is all just a big ploy and they stood down, Netanyahu knew and he stood down. And I've heard, um, you know, uh, Amir Sarfati's uh, explanation of what happened, how they, the IDF were really flying blind is his explanation because they shot out the cameras, they shot the guards people up front. They had been slowly and slowly moving closer to the fence, which made everyone uncomfortable, but it was kind of usual in a way that they were getting closer. So on the day when it actually happened, they just were not prepared uh, and did not believe that this could really happen because like you say, Israel would attack in such a brutal manner that a lot of casualties would be sustained. And so why would they do that if they love their people, which clearly they do not? They do not love their people. Yeah. And by the way, obviously, uh, when those cameras were being shot and so on, I mean, it was clear that that they were noticing movements, uh, but that was normal. You know, they, they had seen that before many times and, and obviously it was a misjudgment. It was an error in judgment that cost 1,200 innocent, innocent Jewish lives. And so I could see and you know, you could you could hear the pain in the voice of these senior cabinet ministers 
that we're sharing of this misjudgment and how the senior officials basically said, yeah, don't worry about it. It's going to be fine, thinking nothing would take place. But uh, the pain is there. And at the end of this war, there will be investigations and a reckoning. There will be, sadly, some heads that will be on the chopping block, having to take responsibility for this error in judgment. But in the meantime, Israel is one right now because they have to deal with this threat. The majority of Israelis want the IDF to completely take the Hamas terrorists out, secure the border once and for all, and actually take control militarily of Gaza and not allow, uh, once again, uh, this organization, Hamas, to take power or to have power in Gaza. Well, we see a lot, um, you know, one of the things uh, regarding um, Joe Biden, I don't know if we can put, we did see uh, uh, some support by America for Netanyahu as, uh, you know, closer to when the this invasion happened. But um, Biden has reportedly behind the scenes not been as kind, uh, speaking of Netanyahu, and they didn't want them to go into where they've just rescued these two hostages. Biden was like, no, don't go in there, you know, which they did anyways, and they accomplished good things. But Netanyahu, um, he's got a lot of pressure, I imagine. And I wonder uh, with, with uh, can you see this tab here, JT? Um, I wonder with what we're seeing with the world now slowly turning against Israel, which of course is actually sort of prophetic because the Battle of Armageddon, eventually no one's with them. I don't know if we're leading into that quite yet, but uh, because the world still basically does support Israel's right to defend their nation. But Netanyahu is definitely taking a lot of heat. And I wonder over the years as you've watched him, you would probably be more, far more of an expert than any of us on Netanyahu. And I wonder if you could tell us, what do you think of him and because I have defended him and I personally kind of, I, I just mm -hmm. really like him. I've watched a lot of his interviews and I think he always talks about, you know, so ha having strategies that protect civilians. And I've really admired that about him. Yeah, Laurel, and I just want to affirm what you said about Netanyahu. Obviously, he really is the man for the hour. He is the man that I believe has the greatest wisdom, the greatest ability as well to articulate and communicate I mean, his English is perfect. Um, Netanyahu is a strong leader, and that's what Israel needed at this time. I know some people refer to him as being very hawkish um, in nature. He's a strong leader. He's made it very clear that he will not allow, um, you know, Iran. He's made some strong comments through the years. He's not been afraid uh, to mince his words about uh, Israel and Israel's right to defend herself against her enemies. And sadly, uh, Net sadly, Biden has, you know, let's face it, the Americans are the key players in the region. It's the Americans, obviously, that play the greatest role and in influence. But Netanyahu is a man of great conviction. And it's very clear that they're not going to capitulate to American pressure they realize that the survival of the state of Israel does not depend upon America. It depends upon Israel. 
And one of the things that I so appreciate about Netanyahu is that he does read the scriptures. Very often in his addresses to the nation and to the nations of the world, he will, he will often quote the scriptures. He's also a strong friend of the Christian community around the world, and he stands in support of Christians around the world. One of the things as well that he's spoken out very clearly on is the fact that there are Christians that are being persecuted, that are being targeted in the Middle East, not just Jews. And so it's Jews and Christians that love the God of Avram, Isaac, and Yaakov, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Israel, that understand the role in the place of Israel and this battle that Israel is now waging against, you know, the likes of Hamas and Hezbollah, of course, the Houthis, this ring of fire around uh, Israel that is, that is being fully supported by the Iranian regime. So he is a man of great conviction, a man of great principle. He is not backing down. He will not allow the Americans to, to um, somehow sideswipe, um, you know, the very goals of Israel. He's going to defend his people first. He's going to stand strong and do what needs to be done to make sure that Israel, Israel is safe. Now, something else as well that is important that I think the viewers need to understand. You know, Israel continually is being accused of, of being genocidal and, you know, Israel being accused of, of being aggressive against the Palestinians. And yet, you know, this is so, so false. The narrative is so false. You know, for years, over 500,000 civilians have been killed in Syria, right to the north of Israel, killed by Assad, killed by the, 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 the terrorist organizations that are supportive there, of Assad, who is a dictator. Over 500,000 civilians have been killed, but no one has ever brought that to the attention of the world. No one seems to care about, you know, 500,000 civilians being killed by uh, the terrorists there. But, you know, here they are targeting Israel and targeting the prime minister, Netanyahu, as being genocidal. And yet, um, you know, it's so far from the truth. But having said that, of course, I think Netanyahu realizes that his tenure as the prime minister may come to an end at the end of this war. I mean, there is a lot of, of disappointment in the Israeli public. Uh, because obviously someone has to be blamed and it's going to go right to the top. It's going to be Netanyahu as the prime minister and the government. Once all of this comes to an end and investigations will be fully, uh, fully engaged and uh, those held responsible for this, sadly, this massive judgment in error by Israel, um, you know, that took place on October the 7th. So I hope that kind of helps a little bit? It helps a lot. And I appreciate you mentioning about all of these deaths that have taken place, you know, in all kinds of places. I, I was just listening to the the Ukraine. Uh, you know, I was watching Tucker Carlson's, uh, we watched it together on my show here. We had a five hour show. And oh, we so we watched uh, two and a half hours of Tucker uh, Carlson interviewing um, 
interviewing uh, President Putin and um, talking about the carnage. There's already they've they've killed over 400,000 Ukrainians. And you have the United States of America and parts of Canada just like go, go, go. You know, our government, uh, you know, is is pretty you know, dead on helping the Ukraine, but the Ukraine is losing is the word on the street. And we keep pouring a lot of money into it. And it's over 400,000 people killed in the Ukraine. And yet they want to blame Israel for having to have this, you know, carnage of, you know, of losses uh, from a lot of people who actually have an ideology that, says that they could be martyrs and have some sort of secured place in eternity if they do die a martyr's death so they don't get out of the way. And, you know, that's something that the mainstream media doesn't really talk about either, but they're, you know, they're sort of for it in a way. They they yeah. don't get out of the way the way that they should. So I appreciate you mentioning that. And um, <coughs> I'm sorry, I'm going to cough so you talk. <laughs> Well, no, just just to just to add to what you were saying, um, you know, when you consider uh, that when it comes to Jews and to Israel or Zionism, there's such an inequity out there. There is such an inequity. In other words, um, the focus and the attention is on Israel continually. It's almost as if there is a lobby within the UN that is seeking to discredit, to destroy to completely present Israel and our Jewish people in such a negative light. And again, mo most people don't realize is that it's a spiritual issue that is at stake here. There's a hatred. There is a hatred for our Jewish people and for Israel because of Yeshua, because of Jesus. I think people don't realize the spiritual, uh, the spiritual aspect of anti-Semitism and the new anti-Semitism is anti-Zionism or anti-Israel. And sadly, so, so many Westerners, and I'm not talking about Muslims, I'm talking about Westerners. You see them, for example, on university campuses, or you see them in the cities, you know, coming out by the thousands, chanting, chanting, uh, you know, basically get rid of Israel and, and chanting from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. And that statement, is calling for the genocide of every Jewish person. They don't even understand that. They don't understand, they think that they are joining a just cause, but what they're actually doing is supporting a terrorist organization and they've just bought into, sadly bought into a narrative that is so skewed, that is so wrong. Uh, you know, accusing Israel and accusing our Jewish people of genocide and. And again, here you see the inequity, you see the anti-Semitism, you see the hatred, which is spiritual in nature. It's not political, it's spiritual in nature. And this is why we're seeing this right across the world, especially in the Western nations of the world, where so many non-Arab, non-Muslim uh, people are joining in thinking, we need to stand, but it's just a spiritual deception uh, without really knowing what's going on there in the very land itself in the Middle East. Wow, yes. And and you were saying that now anti-Semitism, um, there, there's some numbers out about 
which has been shocking to me, as I'm sure it's to you. So let's yes. all understand this. Israel gets attacked, gets brutally attacked by psychopaths in, in such an, uh, an un, inexplicable way, so hideous, so brutal that we've almost never seen anything like what happened October 7th. And yet the world has decided to get more anti-Semitic. Yes. You know, Laura Lynn, it, it's so sad for me to see the stats that have come out recently. Uh, just recently, it was reported by an anti-Semitic watchdog in the world that there has been worldwide since October the 7th. And it's so ironic, uh, ironic when you think about it. I mean, the barbarism, the terrorism, the, the horror that personally I saw, which I know you're going to be showing some things and we'll talk yes. about that, that I personally witnessed myself firsthand to see the horror and then to accuse Israel and accuse uh, the Israelis or accuse our Jewish people around the world uh, and use this for justification for anti-Semitism. Do you know that worldwide, since October the 7th, there has been a 235% increase worldwide, okay? Worldwide, 235% increase in anti-Semitic incidents around the world. That's just the world. When you take into consideration per capita, the populations and the different nations of the world. But you know, they shared the stats for four nations, four nations, just to give us a picture and an idea of the increase of anti-Semitic incidents. L listen to this, and I'll leave Canada to the end, okay? But for example, in the USA, there have been 337% increase of anti-Semitic incidents since October the 7th. In Germany, there have been 320% increase in anti-Semitic incidents since October the 7th. In France, which is the number one uh, increase in France, we see 1,000% increase of anti-Semitic incidents since October the 7th. Now get ready for this. Canada, since October the 7th, in Canada alone, there has been 800% increase of anti-Semitic incidences. And this is coming from this watchdog in Israel that, that monitors all of this around the world. So Canada is second to France in the highest increase of anti-Semitic incidences. This is very alarming. This is very, very alarming to our Jewish community here in Canada. And for those of us that live in BC, and you live in BC, I live in BC, we're all aware of what just took place with our MLA, Selena Robinson. Selena Robinson is, is, is from a Jewish background. And she is the MLA. Now for me, in Coquitlam, Mayardville, she is our MLA. And just recently, she was forced basically to resign by Premier Ebby. Why? Because in a certain context, she had made a statement uh, for the B'nai B'rith uh, organization, Jewish organization. She had made a statement. And of course, she was not wise in the statement that she made when she said that prior to the coming of our Jewish people, into Israel, it was a crappy land. She used that word, crappy land. And mm. really, if you think about it, it's, it, it was not 
an Islamophobic or, uh, you know, it was not, um, you know, a violation or, or it was not an indicator of Islamophobia. She wasn't right. talking about Islam. She wasn't talking about the Muslims. She was just simply making a statement. She made that statement. And because of that statement, a number of imams here in the Lower Mainland, um, you know, really took this to task and called for her resignation and basically pressured uh, Premier Ebi. And, uh, you know, she then said, look, uh, she apologized. And she said, you know, of course, I was not wise in saying that. But that was not a statement of Islamophobia. But she was accused of being Islamophobic in making that kind of statement. And of course, the pressure mounting, the premier basically forces her to resign. Now, our Jewish community here in the Lower Mainland is very upset over all of this because so many statements have been made by politicians that were anti-Semitic. And when they apologized, our Jewish community basically forgave them and said, we understand sometimes things can be said out of context or not said in wisdom. But to demand the resignation of Selena Robinson, that's an incredible minister, an incredible MLA, just because she was Jewish, and then to see the capitulation of our premier forcing her basically to resign from her cabinet post. Why? Because she was Jewish. Our, our Jewish community is very upset in the Lower Mainland because here again we see the inequity of anti-Semitism and the impact of anti-Semitism against our Jewish community in Canada. And this is recent. This is just a few days ago, right here in the Lower Mainland. And that again is a reflection of what's happening in Canada. Wow. Yeah, it, it really is shocking because it's never the same. It's never equal uh, justice the way that they treat people. It's always, you know, you're, you're seeing this across the United States now. You're seeing this in the way that Canada treats prisoners or people that, um, you know, uh, they don't like. You know, hate speech could be that you speak that you don't believe in transgenderism. But, you know, if you want to mock Christianity or put them down, um, all of this kind of stuff is acceptable hatred. And so it's it's very unfair. And so I'm very sad that uh, that this happened. And it's it's not right. You know, I guess the only thing would, I mean, I don't know how they force you to resign. You have to be able to just literally stand like a wall against it because <laughs> all kinds of people in the States, you know, that one lady, they think she should resign because she's basically, so she's sleeping with the guy. He had an affair with her. You know, this, hmm. this lady in the States, she's going after Trump. And um, right. you can just bring the two of us in now, JT. But um, she's going after Trump. She sleeps with a guy. She then takes money and pays him an exorbitant amount uh, to do, you know, contract work that she's that she's uh, got the goods. She's got the money there to give. People want her to resign. And she just says, no, I'm not, you know. And it's like, we just move on. It's horrific. Nothing's fair. Well, this is this is. This is the inequity of it all, because yeah. I know Selena Robinson, I've talked to her a number of times, and and I know that, you know, she is, uh, of course, she's very active in our Jewish community, but she, I think, was forced, to be honest with you. She was forced, and she basically, you know, asked forgiveness if, if this was considered Islamophobic in any way, but, you know, she even said, 
look, for the sake of peace and for the sake of not, you know, trying to make amends, um, you know, I'll even take some classes on Islamophobia. Like, I mean, for goodness sake, she's going the extra mile. And yeah. still, no, she's got to no. go. She's got to go. Is sad, they do that. What is sad is that the premier capitulated. He should have been defending his, you know, a senior cabinet minister. He should have been able to just simply say, no, you know what? She's apologized. It was not a wise statement. You know, of course, you know, she wants to make amends with the community here, the Muslim community or those that were taking offense to this. But uh, no, he basically forced her behind the scenes. And again, I can assure you, our Jewish community sees this as a real betrayal. They Good. said it to me very clearly. It's a betrayal on the part of the premier. And I yep. was just with the premier in the month of December. Can you imagine? I was just with the premier at a special Hanukkah celebration for our Jewish communities, political leaders and faith community leaders together as we lit the Hanukkiahs, the the uh, the lights and you know hit lit the the um you know the nine stem candelabra um you know and he was there and all the you know politicians of name and renown in bc were there and um you know here he was you know speaking so uh so proudly of the fact that his government is standing against anti-Semitism and standing for our Jewish people. Can you imagine that? And uh, basically, a and month this. and a half later, two months later, he capitulates it's under not the pressure. Fair. It's not fair. And, and uh, we certainly forgive uh, Selena for anything. You know, when you say something in a way you wish you shouldn't, this, this in no way seems like this should have happened to her at all. And uh, it's so wrong. Okay. And now when you went to Israel, uh, could you share with us about going to the kibbutzes? Um, you love Israel. You've been, you've gone there so many times, you probably can barely count them all. And this was, um, I guess, a very emotional journey to a kibbutz yes. that they actually, um, that this is where the Hamas soldiers had come in. Absolutely, Laura Lynn. You know, as as your viewers are watching footage that I took personally of what was taking place, this was Kafar Aza or Kibbutz, which very simply Kafar means village. Aza is the village of Aza. It was the third, sorry, it was the second hardest hit Kibbutz or community or village in Israel. Uh, by the Hamas terrorists. On October the 7th, over 150 Hamas terrorists actually entered into uh, the village of Aza. They murdered 72, 72 Israelis. They murdered, and the majority of these Israelis in Kafar Aza were younger people. They were young men and young women, young families that were murdered. And then they, they took hostage eight, eight from this village of Kafar Aza. One of them was actually killed by the Israelis by accident. Some of you may remember that at one point, three Israeli hostages were running because they had either been released or they had escaped. And the IDF did not realize, because they were dressed like civilian Palestinians and Hamas militants, that they ended up shooting them by mistake. And one of them was actually from this village of Kafar Aza. And of course, Hamas is responsible for his death, not Israel. 
and of course the IDF had to weep really in killing three of the hostages that were that were coming towards them uh, thinking that they were Hamas terrorists, just like the terrorists would just appear from nowhere and start running towards them. Uh, and so it's so sad to see. But Laura Lynn, these images that everybody is seeing. Now, for me, not only as a Jewish messianic pastor, Christian leader with our evangelical community, as well as our Jewish community, it was so heartbreaking because, I mean, I was constantly in tears to see the absolute horror, to hear what they actually did. It was inhumane what the Hamas terrorists did to these innocent civilians, innocent civilians. They were non-combatants. They were not soldiers. They just simply came in to kill. They simply came in to kill in a, in a horrific way. And the reason why we know what they did is because they themselves took videos of what they were doing to these Jewish settlers, these Jewish men and women, young men and women and children. They burned children alive. You can see in some of the homes, you can see where they, they forced them out because of fire. They were, you know, some of these families were in their safe houses, or let me just say, sorry, in their safe rooms. And so to try to force them out, they would, you know, set them on fire, set these, these, these homes on fire to try to force them out and then murder them cruelly and barbarically. It is horrendous. The posters that you see are, are those that lived in this house. And so it'll say in Hebrew or even in English, they were brutally murdered in this home. And it's just horrendous. This is just a little part of Kafar Aza, the village of Aza or the community of Aza. In fact, in this community was the mayor of the Sharav, uh, uh, the, the Shara Nagev region. His name was Ophir. Ophir actually was killed trying to defend. He was one of the first casualties on October the 7th as he came out to defend, um, you know, because these terrorists had come in. They had breached the actual wall. They had breached the actual fence of barbed wires and fencing, and they had come in, as I mentioned, 150 of them. And then sadly, which I think many viewers don't realize, after 150 Hamas terrorists had broken through and started killing literally hundreds and hundreds of Palestinian quote-unquote civilians came through into this village and started looting and started raping and then you know, doing what they were doing and then just go back into Gaza because it's right there on the border. So it's, it's so heartbreaking. I was in tears continually because I was connecting with the pain. I was connecting with the pain. You know, in this kibbutz alone, Laura Lynn, I shared this story. I could share so many stories of what happened to these members, these, these men and women. But in this kibbutz alone, just to somehow communicate to your viewers how horrible this was and why Israel says no more. They will not allow this hap to happen again. But there was a young couple in one of these homes and this young couple had a baby. So what the terrorists did in this one home, they raped this young mother in front of her husband. 
And then they, they cut the head off of the husband. They then killed the young mother. They cut her head off too, or actually just slit her throat. But they cut the head off of the father. And while this after took place, they took the baby and they placed the baby in a microwave and turned it on. Can you imagine that? No. A baby in a microwave. That's, that's, the Nazis didn't even do that in 19, you know, 38 and 39. In the Holocaust camps, they didn't even do that. And here the world, or many in the world think that it's justified indirectly. Israel has no choice. And Israel says this will not happen again because they keep vowing. Hamas vows that they will repeat this again. Mm -hmm. And there are others that were actually in the West or what the world refers to as the West Bank. Three terrorists were actually killed by the Shin Bet, the, the uh, Israeli intelligence that came right into a hospital and found them and took them out. They were planning from the West Bank, which is from the whole Ramallah, Bethlehem area, to go into Jerusalem and repeat what Hamas did in the South. You see, the world doesn't know this, or many don't, many fail to realize that Israel is determined. They'll say never again. They will never allow this to happen again. And that is why they're determined despite Despite the opposition that is arising from around the world, they're going to take Hamas out. And if necessary, they will then deal with Hezbollah in the north. And regardless of the cost of soldiers and rockets, they cannot allow this. This is for the safety and the survival of our nation and of Israel. And they're not going to allow this to happen again. So please forgive me, Laura Lynn, for being emotional. I'm trying my best to keep my candor and trying my best uh -huh. to not, you know, weep before the camera. But, yeah. it, but it was horrible. It was horrible. It's one thing to watch it on the news, to watch the newsreels, or to hear the newscasters give their perspective. It's another thing to see it in person and to see the destruction and to hear the stories of what actually took place in many of the homes and the barbarism and the evil that was committed by these Hamas terrorists that were then glorifying what they were doing by sending these clips, video clips to their families and then putting it on TikTok. And you know what is also interesting? Many, many of these, because they all knew where they were going. They all knew where they were going. By the way, these 150 uh, terrorists that came to Kafar Aza, do you know that many of them were actually the workers that were being allowed to come and work in that community? And they were actually taking notes where the houses were, where all the guns were kept, where all the security cameras were. It was some of the very same people that were being loved on and, 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 and welcomed into Israel to work and have a better life and better salaries to live like the Israelis. These, these people that live near the border, they're considered peaceniks. 
which means that they really believed in, in you know, working with the Gazans and allowing them to live. In fact, the, the mayor, Ophir, he, had a, he was a visionary for Israel. He was already establishing uh, you know, a, a vision that would employ another 10,000 Gazans that would actually allow them to prosper as well. And he was the first one that was killed in this village, this village where he was responsible for a number of communities in that whole area. And yet he was the first one that gave his life the very same people that he was trying to help were the very same people that killed him. This is why, obviously, the Israeli, the Israeli people now are saying, no more, no more. We will not allow this anymore, even to allow, you know, workers from Gaza or to allow workers from, you know, the Palestinian workers in. There's a great concern and fear now that no all more. of this will lead to even more violence within uh, Israel. Hmm. So the world has to understand this. And I, I think that by stories like yours, it does help them to be, uh, to, for, for people to understand because uh, we even have an, an interview with a Jewish person that said, uh, basically, they, they just don't know if they can believe all of the, the horrific stories. Like, they're just so bad that you almost, you know, can't believe it. And we have not been able to air that yet uh, because we I was in such shock that a Jewish person who lives and is being persecuted for, for being Jewish with this growth in anti-Semitism is basically so completely unable. It is so heinous that it almost seems like, who would do this? But these really happened. And the video is there. And these Hamas people, much of the of what was garnered from what they did was from their own videos, like you said, posted on TikTok. It's it's just exactly. it's too it's too brutal to understand. It's it's so satanic, it's so evil. And so we stand one hundred percent with uh the Jewish people. And I know that if I were living there, I would want the government, the soldiers, the military, to make sure that every last Hamas sociopathic, psychopathic militant has been taken care of because they just, they're not well, they're barely human. I I don't understand how, what what has happened to them, you know, that they would do this. It's, It's beyond, it's beyond understanding. You know, Laura Lynn, one of the things that I, that I am conducting across the nation because of my uh, role as the national director for the CCI network of Jews and Christians is a time of prayer for uh, the nation of Israel, but also for the innocent, quote unquote, innocent Palestinians, which sadly there's not that many of them, but there are those that are innocent that are not complicit. But you know, one of the things that we have been clearly uh, praying for is that somehow some of these Hamas terrorists and those that collaborated with them would come into a place of repentance, that they would truly see what took place and that they would truly repent, truly repent for what actually happened and to cry out in mercy because obviously Israel, the Bible says very clearly, is the apple of God's eye. And one of the things that we can see very clearly is that There are some supernatural things that are taking place. Uh, God is obviously with Israel. Apart from Israel's ability and technology and military prowess, 
and all that Israel does, but there have been some supernatural stories of how there has been supernatural intervention where IDF soldiers were saved or things happened that were supernatural that actually, that actually was clearly seen by the Israeli soldiers. Wow, some, this is different. You know, the casualties of the Israeli soldiers, um, the estimates, the early estimates there are that, this, that the casualties would have been at least 10 times more than what has been actually taking place. And that it would be years, that this kind of a war would take years. But seeing the hand of God vindicating, vindicating the blood. And maybe some of your viewers may not understand this language. But the blood that is crying out from the ground, the blood that stained the ground of innocent Israelis, civilians, mothers and fathers and children being burned alive and babies and the innocent blood that was shed, staining the ground, that blood is crying out to God today. And maybe some might not understand the spiritual significance of all of this, but God heard the cry of the blood, the innocent blood of Abel that was spilled in the book of Genesis. And it says the ground, the blood of Abel is crying out to me. And I can assure your viewers, the blood of these innocent victims are crying out to God in Israel today. And may the Lord have mercy, mercy, not only on our Jewish people, but also on the Palestinians, the innocent civilian Palestinians that sadly have become victims as well, but not to the fault of Israel, but it's Hamas. It's their fault that they don't care for the very lives of their children the very lives of their women, the very lives of the innocent. They just don't care. They're using them as human shields. And they perpetrated what they did on October the 7th with full knowledge that Israel would be forced to respond. And they didn't care. You know what I said earlier, uh, Laura Lynn, and I'll repeat it again. You know, Golda Meir said those words, we can forgive the Arabs. We can forgive them for killing our own children, but we cannot forgive them for forcing us to kill their children by responding back, whether it's airstrikes or the army in war. War is horrible, and there are always casualties in war. But let's remember that it was Hamas who invaded Israel. It was Hamas who killed 1,200 innocent Israelis and took 200 and 46 hostages back to Gaza to use them as bargaining chips. And many of them have already died in hostages or being hostages in Gaza in the darkness of those tunnels. Already they've been, many of them are dead. So let's remember that. And uh, let's ask God to spare, even as we've been praying, Jews and Christians together, praying for for God to spare and to minimize the casualties of Palestinian children, especially, or women that are not complicit, that do not support. And there are some, we know that, there are some. Excellent words. Thank you, Pastor Julio, for your impassioned and 
very um, expert opinion on what is going on in Israel, what has happened, the years you've invested there, uh, your relationship with Israel, and having just recently been there to visit this kibbutz and to bring back the true stories of what has happened. Thank you. This is all very yes. important to the understanding of Canadians. And thank you for your work with CCI. And uh, may God bless the organization. And may God show the truth to Canadians, Americans, thank, and the world yes. regarding Israel and the Jews. Thank you. Thank you, Laura Lynn, for You're this welcome. program. Thank you for speaking truth uh, in this web of such deception. And sadly, you know, this Jewish person obviously is not from Israel, right? This one that you're talking about as well, that, no. you know, there is no. a small group of what we would refer to as, um, you know, they're actually anti-Zionist Jews and, and, and very often they're either very left-wing or they're very ultra, ultra, ultra orthodox that believe that the state of Israel should only be established when the Messiah comes. I'm not even sure who this person is, but it's not surprising that there are some that would actually buy into that rhetoric and actually, you know, state what they are stating without even being in Israel themselves and seeing it for themselves. Yeah. And Dr. Rachel, actually, uh, Erhard, she was on with us, Ehrenfeld? And uh, yeah, she was saying, you know, those ones, they're the Democrats, she would say. So uh, I don't know, uh, that might be part of it. They just don't have the right end of the stick on so many issues of the world. Thank you, Dr. Julie, uh, Pastor Julio, uh, for your amazing word, your amazing testimony and your life that matters so much and teaches all of us so much. Thank you for everything. You're so welcome, Laura Lynn. And we love and appreciate what you are doing. God Thank bless you. you in every way. God bless you. Take care. Thank you. It's been quite the journey, um, and I appreciate uh, that Pastor Julio has been my friend for a long time, but it's been quite the journey for this show um, and, and our work here to keep presenting the truth and to be attacked on my emails and to have people very angry, um, even stating that I'm betraying the freedom movement by uh, defending the Jews. I, I am not understanding. And you know what? I believe that it is a lack of knowledge and a, a lack of information that causes people to do this. Do I believe that there are some Jews in the world who do not do good things? Yes. I believe there are some Canadians in the world that do not do good things. But as for the land of Israel, the history is clear. The, the way that, that the land, being in the, in the hands of the Jewish people at this hour, it is legal. It's binding, it's historical, it's godly, it's biblical. I stand with the Jews and I will never, ever, ever support terrorists. And I cannot fathom those who will say one thing in support of people that kill others in such a heinous way. And uh, this has been a, a stain on humanity since it took place. One last video before we go, um, well, maybe two. Um, in culturally, culturally diverse Spain, a North African migrant, migrant assaults women on a subway platform. This is sort of what's going on. Maybe I can just talk over it, JT, do you think? Um, this is uh, basically a video that's gone viral. This young crazy man, you can see what he's doing. Uh, maybe you can even make it full screen unless, do you lose my voice if you do that or... Um, Oh, Lord, he is just, uh, 
hitting people. Uh, it appears to be women. And he's just running through the subway, smashing women. And I, uh, these kinds of things are getting more and more uh, visible. So he is um, a North African migrant that is there. So hopefully, I mean, obviously they know who he is. I hope someone's got him. That's what I hope. Uh, finally, Tucker Carlson gives his first interview after his Putin interview, which was epic, epic. And I, I thought, you know, it was a long explanation that Putin had regarding some of the history, but it was very interesting. And uh, so this is what Tucker had to say. Why now? Well, I've been trying for three years to do this interview. Um, the U.S. government prevented me from doing it by spying on my text messages and leaking them to the New York Times. And that spooked the Russian government into canceling the interview. So I've been trying to do this, but my country's intel services were working against me illegally, and that enraged me because I'm an American citizen. I'm 54, I pay my taxes, I obey the law. And there was no expectation in the America that I grew up in that my government and its intel services, NSA and CIA, which were always outwardly focused on our foreign enemies, would be turned inward against American citizens. And I'm shocked by that, and I'm infuriated by that. And so once I discovered that that was happening, and I confirmed it was happening, and they admitted that they did it, then I was totally determined, monomaniacally dedicated to doing this interview, not simply because I want to know uh, what Vladimir Putin is like and what he thinks about a war that is resetting the world and really gravely damaging my country's economy, but also because they told me I couldn't on the basis of illegitimate means um, and for no really clearly stated justification. And I thought that can't stand. I don't, I want to live in a free country. I was born in one. And I'm going to do whatever small thing I can do to maintain, um, you know, the society that I, 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 okay. I, I love. Hmm. Well, uh, we love you, Tucker Carlson, and very, very grateful that he has had the courage to finally uh, follow through. I did not know that he was trying to interview Putin for all of these years. And, you know, frankly, if he'd been able to do it earlier, it probably would have been better because um, I, th I think he shows I, the, one of the most surprising things to me is basically him saying that Zelensky has ordered that there's to be no negotiations. Oh, why shouldn't Zelensky have any desire to negotiate? He can just keep getting huge payouts so his wife can go shopping, you know, so he can live the high life, right? Huge amounts, billions of dollars being sent from all the countries in the world to help him. And basically they're losing. And, and now American blood is being asked for. I mean, potentially this is where this goes, is that Americans will have to uh, fight this ridiculous war. It just makes me sick, honestly makes me sick. So done with all of that. And uh, our website is laurelin.tv. Thank you very much. If you're able to help us, if you like this kind of truth broadcasting, if you appreciate that it's here and you see the work that we do and you, you understand the value of it, even if you could do 20 bucks a month and become a monthly partner with us, that would mean the world to us. It really would. Um, $20 a month with a whole bunch of people doing 20 bucks a month, it, it helps us to pay the bills and to, to get this done. We want to expand, we want to grow. We feel like after three years of doing this, that perhaps it's time to go to a next level to get the word out more. We want to have initiatives that are helpful to Canada. We want to save more lives. We believe more trouble is coming, not less trouble. 
more trouble. But I also want to stress, and uh, I'll close with this, that I am having the time of my life. And if there is an apocalypse, I am going to enjoy myself. And I'll, I'll tell you why in a moment. But if you are able to go uh, to the website, laurelin.tv and help us, that would be wonderful. A one-time gift is great, small or large. It helps us so much. We appreciate it from the bottom of our hearts. It makes all the world of difference. And if you'd like to do e-transfer, if that's a way that you can do it, Laura Lynn Live at ProtonMail.com. Laura Lynn Live at ProtonMail.com or Laura Lynn Live at Gmail also works for e-transfers. And we have snail mail. And, uh, oh, I had some letters that I kind of wanted to read. You guys... You know, you, you just, you're so good. And I appreciate the encouragement because it means a lot. You know, once in a while when I'm having a bad day or something goes wrong or, you know, uh, someone's yelling at me about something, I get one of your letters and it just changes everything. I get one of your nice little notes, doesn't have to be long, just encouraging me not to give up, encouraging me not to quit because sometimes the battle is fierce. Uh, I am not quitting or going anywhere because this is way too much fun. Um, I like kicking the devil in the teeth every day in the name of the Lord and the Lord rebuke you, Satan, not me. <laughs> I, I do not engage. I, don't know, I, I do not want to fight the devil on my own because, you know, he is smarter than me, but he's not smarter than God. And me plus God, uh, we're a force to be reckoned with. You plus God, that's a force to be reckoned with. If any of you are wondering what to do with any excess cash that you might have or how to do investments, we totally recommend gold and silver. Uh, Sun City Silver, Steve Merrill, we've had him on the show. Um, I just watched an, uh, another interview. We're trying to get this guy to come on the show. And he's, he was basically describing money and the state that our country's North America has gotten itself into with overextending, borrowing money on the heads of our children. And, you know, basically every single person, you know, in North America, or I don't know if he meant America, but it, all of the, you know, every person, the debt allocation would be over $200,000, you know, to that, that head that needs to be paid. And uh, it's excessive. It's too much. They've, you know, they've got inflation. It's all a big mess. But if you've got some cash, you don't want to watch this implosion of the economy without having something in your hands that is probably going to skyrocket upwards. And that will be gold and silver. So Steve Merrill, Sovereignize at ProtonMail.com. Thank you very much. I want to leave you with a, a little bit of the word. I was listening um, overnight on my... Ah, overnight on my... Um, I go to BibleGateway.com and you can literally play the Bible in your ear all night. JT enjoys now that I do it, <laughs> that I do it not out loud. Um, all right. So in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 17, it says this. Nevertheless, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them, just as God has called them. It is so important that we understand that we have an, an assignment. When God created you in your mother's womb, before he even formed you, he knew who you were. He had an assignment for you. Do you know what my fear is? My fear is that God had an incredible plan and I miss it because I'm too busy, too distracted, too disobedient, too ornery, 
my dad, my dad used to like that word ornery, um, you know, too, too disobedient, too proud that I miss the assignment. This scripture is saying live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to you. What is your assignment? Get on board with it because the time is short. We're seeing epic things happen, but I got a feeling that all the scriptures, how we are intended to be the head and not the tail, that we are above, we are not beneath, that we are victors, that we overcome by the blood of the lamb, by the word of our testimony, that the blood of Jesus Christ, which paid the highest price, the debt, all the debt of our sin is completely paid for so that what? So that we can live victoriously so that we can so that we can live in the assignment that he has called us to live in i wanted to know i said to god recently what is my next assignment am i living the assignment is there anything more to my assignment that god wants me to do what is your assignment have you thought about it are you committed to it are you willing to pay the price whatever that is to live in the assignment the destiny the destiny God has for you. When he created you, he didn't just have nothing in mind. He is like a master craftsman. He ordains lives to be full of the exact right amount of intelligence, the exact right amount of good looks, the exact right amount of creativity, of humor. You know, and maybe you're just a pill right? Maybe you're just a pain in the butt. Well, listen, get rid of that. That's not the fruit of the spirit. You got to work on that just a little bit. But when you begin to give your life over to God, he sets you into the right place. When you ask him, he is faithful to do it. Our biggest problem is that we do not ask him. We do not ask him to set us into, into the right pathway. We're, we're too busy, aren't we? Oh, so distracted, you know, what's my goal? You know, I'll, I'll get right to you, Lord. I just got to see what's on my Twitter account. And somebody's texting me. Oh, I got a signal. Oh, I got a WhatsApp. Oh, I got a messenger on Facebook. I got to look at that. When all the while God is saying, I called you to do something great. And I got to tell you something. I want my assignment to be spectacular. And I want every little ounce of it to be lived out to its fullest, to its fullest extent. I have faith for that. And I pray that you do for yourself as well. God bless. See you tomorrow. You know, it's not easy to deliver the truth of what our sick world is doing but for some of us, we feel that we have no choice. Because if we are silent about these abominable things, then we are letting evil go unchecked, and we cannot do that. For those of you wonderful people who are writing me and are sharing your encouragement, I am deeply grateful. Thank you for all the letters that you've been sending. Thank you for the donations and the support. I found out that in order to speak the truth, you have to become very, very strong. If you would go to my website at www.lauralyn.tv, you'll find all of the ways that you can contact me. Remember, my friends, all is well. All is well. Thanks for joining me.